0: to just be turning with me, if you will, to the book of the Revelation in chapter 2 and find verse 8. But while you're turning there, I want to mention a couple things before we read the text today as we look at the church at Smyrna. I recently read a story that I found to be most helpful to me and maybe to you in understanding the very culture and the context of the first century church, what was taking place at the time that John the Revelator penned these words from our Lord Jesus. Heard the story of a man when he was just three years old that his father died. It was a small loss to this child because his father had the testimony of being a killer, a bully, and a cheat. His mother took over the family trade and continued to give the boy the things he needed and continued his education. But as things went along, she remarried, he didn't like his stepfather, so he found that his mother didn't like him very much either, and she murdered his stepfather with a dish of poison mushrooms, make you want to check those mushrooms, amen? He was raised in poverty, and even though there was great difficulty, he was proving to be a notable son to his parents, but... While he was still young, he committed his first murder when he killed a teenage boy who stood in his way. He just, for really no reason, killed him, and he watched him die with callous indifference. He married at the age of 15, but soon had his wife killed. He married again, killed his second wife as well. In order for him to marry his third wife, he murdered the husband of the woman that he wanted. It's a good old boy, ain't it? His mother annoyed him so much that he even arranged for her murder. He was a very ugly man physically. He had a bull neck, beetle brows, a flat nose, and a very foul mouth. He had a pot belly, frail legs, bad skin, and always carried an offensive odor. At age 31, he was sentenced to death by flogging He fled to a dirty basement in the house of a slave and he cut his own throat. He was the man that would initially give the infant church its first taste of persecution and things to come. His name was Nero. You've heard of him from history. This is what we know about his life. He was the first of the persecuting Caesars of Rome and we know that he began... A series of persecutions that came to the church That would be very difficult for them to endure But now in our text we're about to read There's another Caesar that's on the throne His name is Domitian He was known to be a suspicious Paranoid and blasphemous tyrant He would continue the pattern of persecution That began with Nero He would Continue it with a vengeance to say the least. So, as John wrote to this second church, the church at Smyrna, he has much to say to them that would prepare them for what was ahead. And today, the church in the 21st century, 20 centuries later, would do well to heed these same words. If you found you placed and physically able, stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of God's Word, Revelation chapter 2. And if you would, find verse 8, and let's read together. The Bible says, unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days, but be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt. By the second death. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you would take these words that we have read. May they sink deeply into our hearts today. And as we receive the truth of your word, may we respond to the Spirit of the living God who compels us to come and compels us to go. And may lives be changed as a result of hearing and heeding the word of God today in Jesus name amen and amen thank you You may be seated we talk about the church of Smyrna it's very important for us to get a little bit of a background of the city of Smyrna itself it was a very interesting city it was a very important city because of the trade and commerce that came through there but it was also a very beautiful city And it was a very important political city. You can see why it was important to have a Bible-believing church there because of all that was going on. The city of Smyrna, like Ephesus that we learned about two weeks ago, was very loyal to remain engaged in emperor worship. There was a lot of pagan worship went on there. It was a wealthy city and a free city, It was a religious city, but not a Christian city. There's one thing to be religious because religion is man's attempt to get to God. But Christianity is the opposite of that because in Christianity we know that is where God came down to man. So ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know even though it was very religious, it was not Christian. There were temples that had been built to all the Greek gods in Smyrna. And living as a Christian in that culture was very difficult due to the persecution of Christians that was taking place in that day. The name Smyrna literally means bitter. We know myrrh being one of those... Gifts that was brought by the wise men to Jesus That was a foreshadowing of his death Because it was a spice that was used in preparation Preparing bodies for death After death For burial It means bitter and without a doubt The bitterness that was toward Christianity Was very evident in the city of Smyrna And the church needed a word from the Lord I'll encourage you this week when your Alabama Baptist comes in the mail and you look on the back page and there's our newsletter. If you don't get that, write your name and address on the slip and drop it in the off plate and put Alabama Baptist. We'll make sure you get it. It won't cost you a dime. But if you read that this week, I wrote something in there that I learned from Henry Blackaby that I shared with the men in the prayer room this morning. It's possible to deliver a sermon without having a word from God. Amen? And I want you to know today that church needed a word from God. And I want you to know the church at Heflin, Alabama needs a word from God. Not just another sermon, not just a series of theological talks. We need a word from God, amen? And I want you to know that's what we desire to bring to you today because that church needed a word. We need a word because without a word from God, we are left to ourselves... And we will do what is right in our own eyes. So as we look at this church today, I want you to walk through the text with me and I want you to listen aggressively. As I told you, we'll probably get through verses 8 and 9 today on the first part of this church because there is so much for us to learn. Notice that we find, first of all, that the Lord speaks to this church and He talks about His awareness of their conflicts. See, as our Lord begins to address the church at Smyrna, He does so But reminding them of his identity in verse 8 And his infinite nature in verse 8 He is also reminding them of him being eternal and sovereign He reminds us that time is in his hands And that he has authority over time As well as death and life, amen I'm grateful we serve a Lord like that He has always been aware of the circumstances of his people And he always will be So as we talk about an awareness of the conflicts, there are four parts to that I want to bring to your attention this morning. The first is he talks about his witness of their works. Jesus gave them two words in the opening verses that really should bring comfort to all of our hearts today, 20 centuries later. And these two words are the words, I know, I-K-N-O-W, I know. When we read those words from the lips of the Lord Jesus, it reminds us that he is aware and active in our lives. He knows what's going on. He knows all the good. He knows all the bad. He knows where we're walking and stepping in tune with him, and he knows when we're not. So ladies and gentlemen, knowing that he knows also brings comfort, but it should draw us to make sure that we live in total humble repentance before God so that he will witness our works as the world witnesses our works and bring glory to him. John Philip said this, he said, There is no sob, no tear, no heartache, pain, or fear that the Lord does not share. He has faced life to the full, drank of its sorrows and pains. He knows. Oh, it reminds me of what the writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 15 and 16 where he says We do not have a high priest That cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities But was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace That we may obtain mercy And find grace to help in time of need Where it says we do not have a high priest That does not uh, identify with our infirmities It means that he literally sympathizes with us Because Jesus was fully God But yet he was fully man We have a great high priest in the Lord Jesus Who understands our pains and our sorrows And he is with us regardless of what comes our way He is aware of our witness for him And he is aware of every circumstance of our lives He is aware of every circumstance that was taking place In the lives of the people at the church of Smyrna And he is aware of every circumstance that is taking place In your life here today, amen? Amen? See, the church was doing what they were instructed to do, and they were doing what they were instructed not to do. This is the only church here that gets no rebuke from the Lord. I was thinking about that when we were at the hospital a couple weeks ago. I went to the restroom, and there was a sign on the door when you close the door to go to the restroom. It said this, Do not put hands in toilet. I don't know about y'all, but I don't need anybody to tell me not to do that. (laughs) Do y'all? But then it goes further. It says, there are sharp objects in the toilet which can cause injury. And see, I didn't know they put sharp objects in the toilet because I've never put my hands in the toilet. But do you know why they had to put that sign up there? Somebody put their hands in the toilet and they got down there around them sharp objects. I didn't know they put knives in the toilet, did y'all? But they do that to keep people's hands out of it. But I I thought to myself, somebody got their finger cut up here by running their hand in the toilet and had to go downstairs to the emergency room to get sewed up. So in order to keep the loggers off of them, they had to put a sign on the wall that says, don't put your hands in the toilet. (laughs) I bought a gas can a while back that says, when full, don't drink contents. (laughs) I don't need anybody (laughs) to tell me not to do that, right? But do you know why they put it on the can? Somebody drink some gas. Go figure, right? No, but this church was doing the things they were told to do and the things they were told not to do. So he understood the witness of their works, but it goes a step further. Notice also that he talks about the trials of their tribulation. The word tribulation literally means pressure. We all know what pressure is. We all live in a world that's filled with stress and pressure. This is no foreign subject to us. But the church at Smyrna was facing intense pressure due to one thing. Due to the fact that they were completely faithful to Christ regardless of the cost. John MacArthur said this. He said, the purest Christian graces are those forged in the furnace of adversity. I'm going to say that again because some of y'all, are, y'all, do, y'all, y'all write this stuff down and I think you need to hear it again. If you don't write it, maybe God will write it on the tablet of your heart. But listen, the purest Christian graces are those forged in the furnace of adversity. If we never had adversity, we would never see our need for God. Old time preacher, Oliver B. Green, way back yonder. Here's what he said. He said, we the church flourish best and are richest when we suffer. When the church is persecuted, it spreads like wildfire. When the church is at ease in Zion, God's work suffers sorely. You that are students of the scripture know that the Bible teaches us in the book of Acts chapter 8 that something happened right after the death of one of God's choice servants, Stephen, that when Stephen died that he was carried to his burial and great lamentation was made over him because he was a leader. He was a godly man. He had been stoned to death. He was in the presence of God now. They buried his body and great persecution became, and the church was scattered. What happened when persecution came? It got them out of their comfort zone and it scattered them to take the gospel to other areas of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, the church flourishes when we go through the greatest difficulties of adversity. The Greek word also that is used here describes a troubling pain of war and the pain of childbirth. Ladies, y'all know what that's about. Oh, my goodness, I experienced that twice. and I wasn't even one giving birth. When that was over, I was war out. Some of you guys are saying, I know what you're talking about, Right? But ladies, you know what I'm talking about. The pains get closer and closer together and the birth of the child comes and it's the worst pain you've ever experienced in your life. And it gets worse and worse and it's a great pressure and trouble. But in the medical world, it is also used to describe the compression and tightening that is created by the presence of a tumor which causes severe pain and discomfort. Anybody that's ever experienced that, if you've experienced that in your personal life or with your family or friends, you know the great tumor that comes, the great discomfort that comes, and the pain that comes from that abnormal growth of cells called cancer that begins to grow. That's what was happening in Smyrna. There was a cancer of ungodliness, and it was putting tremendous pressure on the people of God. The emotional and psychological pain caused by these unbelievers had taken its toll on Smyrna. Hey, help me, church. Stay with me here. When you stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to cause you to endure some pressure and some pain and some difficulty, but you cannot stop just because things get tough. He talked about the trials of the tribulation, but there's another thing he talked about. He also talked about the pain of poverty, and I want you to camp out here with me for a little bit. In your New Testament, there are two Greek words in the original language, that are used and are uh, translated poverty in your English Bible. There's one used to be translated poverty that just means a struggle to meet the basic needs of life. Just kind of the basic struggle we all have from time to time and maybe at some points of our life harder than others. We've all experienced time when just the basic things seem to be a struggle. That's one word, but the word used here is not meant for that. The word used here goes beyond that. The word in the original language for poverty in this verse means possessing absolutely nothing. And not just a struggle to meet the basic needs of life, not just a struggle to buy groceries and gas and get back and forth to work, but this is not having anywhere to go to work, not having anything of your own, and constantly being under threat that what you do have will be taken from you. The believers at Smyrna were subjected to such persecution that they were destitute. Everything that they had was always in danger of being taken away. Many were slaves and had had become the victims of being stripped of their belongings. Many who had businesses could not do business because the unbelieving world would not take care of them. They would come and damage or destroy their business. These people possessed absolutely nothing. When I think about this church, it reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 where he says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia that in great trial and affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Did you hear that? Paul was talking about the churches of Macedonia and he was commending them and he was saying listen even though they were destitute even though they possessed really nothing even though they were without even though they were constantly under fear of what they might have being taken from them they continued to give they didn't just give up to their ability they gave beyond their ability I've often wondered about this in 21st century America where we are blessed Anybody with me today? I've often wondered in 21st century America what God might do with one local church if we gave not just to our ability, but beyond our ability. If we gave of our time, if we gave of our time, and we gave of our treasure, and we gave of our talent, if we gave those things beyond our ability, what might God do with a church like that? Notice something here with me. In verse 9... This is another one of those big words I learned over here at Cleveland County High School. Look here. There is a parenthetical phrase. You know what that means, boys? It's in parentheses. Y'all with me? Hey, look here. Y'all smarter than I am, okay? And y'all like amen to that, right? But in that parenthetical parenthetical phrase of verse nine, there is a key word, and it is the word B-U-T. But... I've always taught you since I've been your pastor that when you read the word but in the Bible, what does that mean? Something about change. That means the door is about to swing on the hinges in the other direction. And here's what he tells us in verse 9. He says, but you are rich. Sounds crazy, don't it? Are you with me? It it sounds crazy. He's just finished talking about their poverty. Something's about to change. And here's what happens. Jesus reminds them uh, that in light of all of the pressure that they're facing in reality of their poverty they are actually rich. <laughs> how do you know that? Proverbs 10, says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. That's good news church. I've often taught y'all too how to determine your wealth. Your true wealth is if you add up everything you have that money can't buy and death can't take away you'll see how rich you are. There's so many things God blesses us with that cannot be purchased with money. You can't purchase health. Now you can go to the doctor and try to get well if you get sick, but ultimately, I'm just saying health is not something that can be purchased. There's so you can't purchase love. Amen. You can't purchase true affection. I heard this song a long time ago. It's a real great hymn. It says there ain't but two things money can't buy, and that's true love and homegrown tomatoes. Amen. No, no, look here. You, you can't purchase love. You can't purchase true, long-lasting love. You can't purchase the things that God gives you and all those wonderful things he's given you that, that cannot be purchased with money. And what about the things that death can't take away? Think about old Michael Combs again. I was thinking about him the other day, Marty. He wrote a lot of little songs. He wrote this song that says, They can take the Ten Commandments off the courthouse wall. They can take all the manger scenes out of the parks and malls. They can take my blessed Bible and tear the pages all apart. But they'll never take my Jesus out of my heart. Oh, they can take away our right to pray. They can throw us all in jail. But they can't take away the life he gave when he saved my soul from hell. Amen. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you today the love that God has given me and the love that God has given me through my family and through the body of Christ is something that I know I cannot purchase. And the eternal life that he has given me, death can't take it away. So when I add up the good things he's gave and the good things that can't be taken away, I realize that we have the blessing of God on the people of God, and we're rich. God help us. So how can a church that is so destitute in the eyes of the world be so rich in the eyes of God. I know you've got to look at it from the natural and say, how can this be? Well, they, the church at Smyrna, they understood something that you and I have got to understand. They understood the necessity of having the blessing of God on every area of their ministry. I, I bet they went home and they asked God to bless the pulpit ministry of their church. I bet they got in the altar together and they asked God to bless the worship music ministry of their church. I bet they asked God to bless the children and the student and the senior adults and the tweeners and everything. They asked God to bless the ushers. They asked God to bless the custodians. They asked God to bless everybody that had any part at all. Hey, Steve, they even asked God to bless the guy that ran the speakers even though they didn't have any. I want you to know they believed that every area of ministry needed God's hand on it. They knew they could not survive, much less thrive, without the blessing of God on their ministry. That brings me back to something I need to revisit, okay? Let's go back to that but God statement for a minute. But you are rich. I have a favorite but God passage from the Bible. When you read the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, you run into a tremendous but God. And look here, you, you might not have come for a blessing today, but you're about to get one, whether you came looking for one or not, okay? Listen. Paul said, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's bad news. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. That's some bad news among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. That's some bad news. You know what he was saying? Before Jesus came into our life, we were all left to ourselves, and we behaved as such, and we did things that brought dishonor to the name of God. And it was who we were because it was in our nature to be sinners from birth. But did you read verse four? But God. Anybody glad that God showed up just in your greatest hour of need? Anybody glad that God showed up when you could not fix yourself? He said, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Here's what Paul said. I was in a mess. I was on a bad road. I had done everything to dishonor the name of Christ, but I want you to know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost visited me and told me where I was headed and changed my direction, and I ain't been the same since. Oh, reminds me of that old song we sing so many times for over the years John Newton wrote on a slave ship. Amazing grace how sweet the sound That saved a wretch Hey hey look I was watching this Religious program I'm not sure it was a Christian program but it was a religious program They were singing amazing grace And they changed the word They said amazing grace how sweet the sound That saved a soul like me You know what they didn't want to be offensive They were afraid the, The unbelieving culture might not Feel comfortable in their church Listen to me. You will never come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ until you realize you were wretched apart from him. You were lost and on your way to hell. And unless he showed up, you would go there. But because he showed up, Marty, he showed up. Because he showed up in my hour of greatest need, I wasn't just a soul; I was a wretch. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me! I once was lost, but now I'm found. I hear people talk all the time, say, "Well, I was in a mess, so I found Jesus. He wasn't the one that was lost. You didn't find him; he sought." You out! <laughs> I told you you're gonna be glad you came. I once was lost, but now I now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Oh, I was sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore very deeply stained within seeking to rise no more but the master of the sea anybody thankful for the master this morning but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me now safe am I ladies and gentlemen we have a wonderful Savior we have an awesome Savior we have an all sufficient Savior and we should never ever forget our but God moments Oh Lord help us Don't ever forget where you were It's a child of God When the Lord rescued you from your sin And if you've not been rescued from your sin You are not a child of God Regardless of what anybody tells you You don't become a child of God Being born physically You become a child of God By being born spiritually You don't become a child of God Because you were born down here below You become a child of God When you have been born again Born from above You don't become a child of God just by nature of who you are or where you go to church or who your family is. You become a child of God when you agree with God about your sin, that you are a sinner, you repent of your sin, you agree with him that it is wrong and that you cannot save yourself. You cry out to him for salvation. You acknowledge him as Savior and Lord and you believe according to the scriptures that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says then you will be saved and when you are saved, you become a child Of God. Amen. Don't ever forget where you were when He cleansed you and freed you from all your guilt and all your shame. And also, don't just forget about all that He gave you. Don't forget about what He took away. Don't forget about all those things. But as you remember what He took away, remember what He's going to give you in the future. He's already given you a new life and a new freedom. He's given us a new future. We're headed for a new eternal home. We will have a new body. We will be in the presence of God. And even though we experience the pain of poverty on this side, we can know that the fact of glory that awaits us, it ought to motivate us all. Amen. Then notice, with me, if you will, he talks about the sting of slander. Nobody enjoys being the target of a slanderer, do I bet if we all took a poll today, maybe we took a private poll. And we just handed out a piece of paper and said, Have you ever been the victim of senseless slander? Has anyone ever spoken anything about you that is not true, that could not be substantiated, couldn't be proved, and is just totally false, but it really hurt you and broke your heart? Have you ever been the victim of this type of behavior? I would imagine most everybody, if not everybody. And if you haven't, then you need to answer the call to preach, become the pastor of a local church, and I promise you it'll happen really fast for you. Really will. Really will. <laughs> we don't do that. See, the believers at Smyrna were targets of unbelievers and self-righteous people, the Jews that hated Christianity. I, I want you to know the The word in the original language for slander is the word blasphemia, which means cruel speech and verbal abuse. Of course, it's where we get our English words blaspheme and blasphemy. It is the strongest word in Scripture that is used to describe character assassination. Are y'all with me? You say, preacher, why do you tell us this about the words in the original language? Because you need to unlock the real deep meaning. You could just say, slander, that just means somebody hurt their feelings. No, you need to understand, this is a very strong word. It's the strongest word in your Bible and in your New Testament specifically that describes character, assassination. nation. You know what it means? It means a total disregard for a person's reputation or worth. Wow. How about that? See, God's word ensures us that faithfulness to him will always lead to persecution. He told Timothy, 2 Timothy three twelve, that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And I know sometimes you say, well, I'll tell you what, I just want to get into this living for Jesus thing, and I'll be free from persecution. Well, it's going to come regardless, but I'd rather be persecuted for Jesus' sake than anything on the sun. But in Smyrna, there were a group of people who were false followers of Christ, if you could be that. They did not know him, but they pretended that they knew him. Hmm. There's a group of people that was causing the true church difficulty because of that. They ratted against the church and its suffering. They brought contempt and false accusations against the church, and our Lord declared that they were the synagogue of Satan. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Our Lord's saying these pretenders, you know, we know there's pretenders and contenders. These pretenders, they were out there causing havoc for the church they're not of you they try to pretend like they are but they're really the synagogue of Satan oh my goodness here's what John MacArthur said he said this group assembled to plan the attack on the church In doing so, they were doing Satan's will. They may have claimed to be of the synagogue of God, but they were just the opposite. Now you say, preacher, help me now. Okay, help me. You've told me. How do I make application to today from that? Well, I'm so glad you asked because I want to help you. Okay. Today we need to understand that when you stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and you make him not just a way of life or first in your life, but when he becomes your life, and everything in your life is tied up wrapped around his will and you faithfully follow him, I want you to know the spiritual character assassins will come after you. I'll never forget sitting in a seminary class in Jordan Seminary and my professors had a guy that was taking his first church. And, the, and our professor told him, said, Son, I want to warn you. He said, the, the spiritual character assassins are going to come after you. And let me tell you where they're going to come from. They're going to come from the pews that you're preaching to. And he said, no, no way. I'll never forget the next semester or so, we had this same professor, and he came in one Monday, and he looked lower in worm dirt. He said, what's wrong? He said, Doc, you were right. They've come after me, and they're about to get the best of me. Friend, listen to me. The character assassins will slander you, mock you, gossip about you. They will bring tremendous hurt to your life. And whoever came up with a little saying that sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never hurt me is not a real person. That may sound all cute and warm and fuzzy but that is a lie. Sticks and stones will break your bones but I want to tell you what the words will do. They won't just break your bones. They will break your heart. James talks about the tongue that is full of deadly poison that it's set on fire of hell is what he said and I want you to know they do hurt. I'll never forget years ago I was under some attack and that (laughs) shocking to y'all happens to me kind of regular but that's all right. and I'll never forget an older lady in our congregation had come by and she was Telling me things I already knew. Because, you know, I want y'all to know, I know a lot of things I don't say that I know, and I hear a lot of things y'all never know that I hear. And when people talk about me, I, I usually hear it before you realize it because those people that you're saying don't tell nobody, guess what they're doing? <laughs> so this lady came in and she just explained, and, and she had this phrase. She said, Now, Pastor, she was a very eloquent speaker person. You know, them jaws of people, they just eloquent, right? They think they're more than an hour ahead of us, but anyhow. She said, Now, Pastor, we have been talking among ourselves. I said, That's the first problem. <laughs> We've been discussing among ourselves. And she started telling me all these little things. I said, I tell you what. I said, Miss Ann, her name was Ann. I said, Miss Ann. I said, I tell you what, I want you to do me a favor. When you hear people saying slanderous gossip things in the community, Especially if it's, you know, about me personally whatever. I'd just appreciate it if you would just find the person that's saying that and y'all just come up here and talk to me about it. And let's just talk about it and fix it, work it out instead of just everybody forming an opinion and yibbity, 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 yabbity. That's all it is, yip, yap. That's the Greek word for it, yip, yeah right? But anyhow, and I said, so y'all just come up here and say, man, we'll, we'll stop all this ridiculous stuff. And she just looked up and. So, Pastor, let me ask if I'm hearing you correctly. (laughs) I said, okay. So she regurgitated to me. You're asking me that when there is gossip about you in the community that that I need to come and talk to you and bring the person with me that's gossiping about it and get it worked out right here in your office. I said, yes, ma'am. That's exactly what I'm saying. Isn't that what the Word of God teaches us to do? And she says, well, Pastor, there's only one problem. I said, well, what's that, Miss Ann? She says, well, then we'll be up here every other day. (laughs) <laughs> how do you I, I said well bring it on you know, come at me girl But I just like, man, ain't that something I don't know about you but I'm real busy in my life and I've got more to do to occupy me than to think bad things about you amen I really don't. And I want you to know, when I think about you, I really, 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 and some people make it harder than others, but I really try to think good things. Why? Because I want God's best for you. I want God to use you. I want God to take your gifts and use them for his glory. And I believe that's very important. See, when God blesses your church, people will talk and say the most awful things about you and your church. When God begins to use your church, I'm telling you, Satan will bring up the hounds of hell to try to assault your church, to thwart you from the work that God has called you to do. Even church folks, Satan will do whatever it takes to stop you from doing God's will. So let me leave you with this today, okay? This is not on the screen. Verse 9 is as far as we're going to get. But I want to leave you with these things. and It's real simple. You might want to jot them down. You've got three choices that you can make when you're persecuted. Listen to me. You're going to make one of them. Of these three, you're going to make one either, either consciously or unconsciously or subconsciously or whatever. You're going to make one of these three decisions when you're persecuted. Here's the first thing you do. First, some people choose the option to give up. <laughs> or that four-letter word that I hate so it, the word quit. They quit. Hmm. Now I want you to hear me. You may choose this option you may choose to walk away, you may choose to turn your back on the Lord and you may allow the devil to entice you to give up on Christ you may allow him to entice you to give up on the work of the great commission why? because you say the pain is too much you can save yourself from the pain if you just give up but you're going to stand before God disobedient so giving up is really not the best option There's a second one. If you don't give up, you may choose the option to just go along. Uh, See, those that give up quit. Those that go along compromise. You may say, well, I'm not going to just give up. I'm not going to just walk away. But I'm just going to become a chameleon Christian. I'm just going to blend in so that I don't stand out. I don't really want to be heard from or nothing else. I just want to just fit in. Here's what you can say: that is the way people live when they want to practice Sunday Christianity. There's a major problem with that in today's church. It's been a problem throughout the ages. It was a problem in Smyrna's days. Problem now where people want to pretend. Or even resemble a Christian on Sunday, but their testimony between Sundays is anything but you just go along. When the persecution comes, instead of stepping forward and standing out for God, you just go along because you you don't want to upset anybody. You don't want to rock the boat. So you're either gonna give up, you're gonna quit, you're gonna go along or you're gonna compromise. There's a third choice, and I hope you pick this one. If you don't give up and you don't go along, then you're going to have to get going. (laughs) You're going to have to get going. You know what this means? You refuse to let the devil win. You refuse to let him get one battle over you, nothing at all. You refuse to get him to cause you to halt, Regardless of what he throws at you, you keep going. And I want to tell you something, friend. This is a difficult thing to do, and it's got harder through the years, but I want you to hear me. There is a man named Jesus who strapped a cross to his back, went to Calvary for you, and that's a reason for me to get going, even if it causes suffering. I was reading the other night in the hospital this book by Paul David Tripp entitled Suffering and I want to leave you with something he said that really goes with this that I believe might help you and encourage you today he says we're all like pilgrims on a great spiritual journey we're living in an uncomfortable world of tents and temporary locations all the hardship and loss we face are designed by God to prepare us for our eternal home I want you to hang your hat there stay with me God is working through our hardship to pry open our hearts, our hands, and loosen our hearts from our tight grip on the here and now. Did you hear that? He's allowing these difficulties to pry open our hands and loosen our hearts to that tight grip we have on the here and now. He's working to release us from the hope that this present world will ever be the paradise our hearts long for. He's employing suffering to produce in our hearts a deep and motivating longing for a much, much better eternal home. That's the promise of his grace to us all. Now listen here, and I'm done. What we suffer isn't a failure of God's plan, but it is a tool to bring us in line with God's plan so that we will love what he's prepared for us more than we love our present comfort. Did you hear that? You're suffering physically, spiritually, financially, whatever it might be. Whatever's come into your life that's brought hardship, whatever persecution you might be enduring, it is not a failure of God's plan in your life. But rather, it is a tool to bring you in line. You know what? It's to get you back in line. Y'all remember being in fifth grade? Mr. Jimmy Howe, y'all remember Mr. Jimmy Howe being fifth grade teacher? Before they had carpet on the floor and had those little block tiles. What block did we walk on to the lunchroom? Fourth block. Fourth block from the wall. And if you walked on the third, you know, you've seen the picture of the guy that goes down the hallway with a paddle behind his back in his belt. Then. Yeah. That used to really happen. And you got in that fourth block and you walked in line in that fourth block to the lunchroom. You didn't get in the third. You didn't get in the fifth. You didn't get in the second. You didn't get closer. You didn't get further away. You got in line. And if you got out of line, there would first be a kind of line boy. But if you just decided, you know what, I want to walk on the third block. Do you know what? You're about to pay the price for Rebellion. The suffering that we face in this world is a tool to bring us back in line with God's plan so that what? So you will have a greater love for what's coming than you have for what you got right now. I don't know about y'all, but the longer I live in this world, the less I like it. But I meet a lot of people that really love why, <laughs> but they do. But God is preparing the hearts of His children to get more excited about what's coming than what's going on right now. I don't know what suffering you might be enduring, but I know if you're there, He's there. And if you're not, you will. If you're in the inner storm, coming out of a storm, headed to your next storm. You will And will you allow God to use it as a tool To get you in line Or will you just determine You're going to walk on the third block Even when he says the fourth The choice is yours But you just can't make no choice Because you're either going to give up Go along Or get going Church hear, hear my heart It's time to get going It's time to quit giving up it's time to just quit going long. It's time to quit quitting, and it's time to stand. Thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for this word, God. How it how it just burns in my soul. How it challenges me over and over to make sure that my heart is beating with yours. God, I pray today for every person that I have been so privileged to stand before. God, I pray that if they are in danger of giving up, that today will be their but God moment. If they're just kind of going along, not making a stand, God, that today would be their but God moment. And God, for those that keeping on, keeping on and those that are getting going God I pray that you would continue to be their strength their source, their sword and their shield their strong tower in time of trouble that you would just hide them beneath the shadow of your wing God today let us not fall victim because things are tough around us God, thank you for the testimony of the church of Smyrna. Oh, God. How it'd been easy for them to quit. They endured the pain. They endured the tribulation. They endured the slander. And God, today in this house, if there are those that are just checking off boxes, just trying to be a good boy on Sunday or a good girl for Sunday, and not radically been changed by the power of the cross and not living in the power of the Holy Spirit today. God, I pray today to be there but God today. I pray you'd move mightily among us. In Jesus' name. Our heads about, eyes are closed. Here's the invitation today. Whatever you need from the Lord, I know he has the answer. Whatever we can do to help you get a hold of heaven, that's why I stand down in front of this church every week. It's not because I want to be up front and not because I want to be seen that's for sure the reason I stand here and pour my heart out to you is because I care about your soul I care about your family I care about where you spend eternity and I care about how you live between now and then whatever you need from the Lord you come if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you need to be saved I plead with you to come today you will not go to heaven apart from being born again. If you need to make things right with God, maybe you say, Lord, I feel like I'm in danger just kind of compromising. Don't, keep, don't stay there. We're not going to throw rocks at you. We're not going to make fun of you. We're here to lift you up, not push you down. Maybe you've gotten close to quitting before. Maybe it's even now. Maybe today the word of God and the spirit of God has inspired you to not give up. You just need to spend a minute at the altar saying, God, I thank you. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep going on. Whatever it is the Lord bids you to do today, I pray you'd honor God with your decision. Father, in Jesus' name, may this invitation bring you glory. And God, may lives be changed forever because of the gospel they heard today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's stand to our feet. Marty's gonna lead us, and he does. I plead with you today to come to Jesus. Marty, when you're ready. out there, you'll come in contact with that I want, but I really believe God has placed us as missionaries and community to make a difference for the gospel. And here's what I'd like to do. I'd just like Russell Church family just to come together and pray for, community. Just pray for our community. Pray for our community. Pray for oneness in the body of Christ. I'm the least of the least that comes from the readers. I don't think I'm better than anybody. I don't have any ego. I would encourage them. They're all better than me. I don't have any problem with that. It's not about being in the ministry church. Sure. It's, it's not about But it's not being a people of God on an issue of God. Touches the touch community. It's hurting. Not hurting. You know hurting? You know There's A lot of people want to quit. There's a lot of people compromise. And they need a, a testimony of people are getting. I want to be a part of that people, do not you? I believe you do too. So here's what I'm going to do. Last year we played. If God would allow you, and you would want to join us. I'd invite you. We're just going to gather you all here. We are uh, uh, Terry, You play. We're going to gather here. We're going One mouth, one heart, one voice. right God asking you to use us to be people who make a difference. Not people who go along, not people who give up. People who get going. Persecution comes from all sorts and all angles. Unbelievers, those who pretend to be believers. Even from those who backslid on you. Those who are in danger. Wedding. those who are giving up, those who are backing and instead of putting it in overdrive between that and Lord. But God, we come before you on behalf of our communion because God, we know that Satan would just love to have a bigger hand, that he would love to cause great division, he would love to cause all sorts of uh, dissension. He does that by attacking the churches and attacking the community and, and using all sorts of resources at his disposal to do that. But Father, we believe you're greater. Your word teaches us in the book of First John that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And God, we are believing that you are greater and that God, you can heal the hurts. You can bring us together with one heart, one mind, one voice. God, that we might glorify you. We might bring you honor. And we might be an agent of change. And agents of reconciliation and agents of the gospel not getting caught up in all the talk and all the stuff that goes on. in all communities, not just ours, but all communities. God, I believe you can use us to make a big difference. God, you can use your people in their workplace and in their neighborhoods and when they go to them to the store and in town wherever or to our schools with our students oh God please put a hedge of protection around them God we know they are bombarded with so many things from day to day oh God please protect them and God as you do use them in the hallways of their schools and not go along with everybody else and fit in all the crowd but make a difference for the kingdom by saying that they will follow you and walk with you even if it means they're weird and even if it means it's awkward and even if it means that they might be pointed out that's okay give them the courage to stand and give them the courage to stand together and to encourage one another not to just follow the crowd to realize they were not built to fit in but to stand out because you have called them out of darkness into your marvelous light Thank you, God, for a church that is a praying church and has praying people that believe that the calling on you, God, is our only hope and it is something you paid a great price on Calvary's cross to even give us the opportunity to do. Oh, God, we just thank you for loving us today. We thank you, God, for this group just gathered and all throughout this congregation praying from altar, pulpit to pew. That God, you would use this community for your glory. Use this church to touch this community for your glory. And God, we're going to give you praise right now for what you're going to do. In Jesus' sweet holy name I pray. Amen and amen. Amen. As you rise up, would you give Jesus a hand clap of praise this morning? Amen. 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 Marty keep singing that chorus as we return to our seats, please. Amen. seated, thank you so much uh, our ushers are coming guys, y'all come whenever you're ready it's just a blessing, never take for granted the blessing and the privilege it is to gather as a body And just because you know there are parts of this world today that people are meeting, they got one little light bulb in a cave if somebody comes in and finds out that they're teaching, preaching the Bible, they're all in danger of being killed for just gathering together and worship here in God-blessed America, <laughs> we, we can gather in an altar together, put our arms around one another and call on God. What a privilege, amen? What a privilege. Just don't ever take it for granted. So as we give today, let's give today from our hearts. Uh, last Sunday of the month, so let's give strong and not, not get behind. Don't forget our partners at Awakened City that we're staying in touch with. Uh, well, they'll just continue. They baptized several more recently, and God's doing some great things there and uh, boy we got some text from them this week of how God is working in some situations where they are reaching into the lives of some very deeply rooted uh, several generations deep Mormons and school administration and things like that that, that God is working in ways that's just mind boggling what he's doing so just continue to pray for those things and continue to make a difference there don't forget our partners there and remember to ties holy unto the Lord listen here we we can make a difference, church, if we choose to. I don't want to just go along. I don't want to keep status quo. I don't want to just do things the way they've always been done. Y'all know that's the most deadly words a church can ever utter. Is preacher, we ain't never done it that way before. And I know y'all probably go home sometimes saying, "Yeah, we don't do nothing like we've done before." This dude's crazy, and that's all right. And you might—I'd hate to—I'd hate to think that you'd go home and. What God puts in my heart never did cause you to go. We ain't never done that before. Let me tell you this. We're going to have to do a lot of things we've never done before to accomplish the will of God for this church. Amen? It's just the beginning. It's like Nick Saban said after about the fourth championship, you know. We're just getting started and we ain't finished yet. Amen? Y'all, y'all believe that? <laughs> Row <Roll time. laughs> Saturday's only five days away, man. (laughs) I watched those little, little wannabe schools yesterday. I was ready for the good thing (laughs) tonight. But anyhow, it's all good. Let's join our hearts together and let's ask God's blessings on our giving. Don't forget on the way out today that uh, I hope that you'll make a point to be in your place this Wednesday night at 6. Remember, adults were meeting in the basement fellowship hall there, and then uh, the students are meeting in the cave, and children are meeting up here on the second floor, on this floor right here, this main floor, so they'll be meeting here on Wednesday night at 6, looking forward, to a good time there. But as you go through the week, always look for those God moments and always look for those opportunities to touch the lives of people around you. And look here, if you don't remember nothing I told you today, remember this, refuse to quit, refuse to compromise, and always look to get going, amen? I promise you, it'll make a difference when you face persecution. It's not a matter of if, it's just when and how much, amen? So do remember that and never forget that I love you. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Amen. Let's stand together. Marty gonna sing us out. All right, buddy. We will stand.